The following program is for informational purposes only. Do not make any investment without speaking to a licensed financial advisor. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the financial physician. I'm Lou Scatigna, certified financial planner and your money doctor. Each and every week, we upload our podcast on Sunday morning. Runs roughly two hours, and uh, we talk money, markets, politics, and anything that affects your life. And all these things affect our lives these days. We're truly living in some really crazy times. Uh, But we made it to Thanksgiving week, uh, my favorite holiday of the year. Hopefully, you and your family are going to have a a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, It's just amazing how quick time is going by. I mean, this year is just a blur. I mean, it just seems like it was Thanksgiving uh, a couple of months ago. And here we are uh, entering the holiday season. We'll talk more about budgeting for the holidays later on in the program, uh, how to get through it. Uh, But I want to start off talking about a subject that most of us are going to have to deal with at some point in our lives, assuming that we're going to die. And I think it's a pretty good chance that each one of us are going to die at some point. And I'm talking about planning a funeral. Now, one of the best things you could possibly do for your family is to pre-plan your own funeral. And it's a good thing to do for yourself. And I'm going to talk about all the reasons why you want to do it, how to do it, what the benefits are of doing it. But pre-planning your funeral is simply the process of arranging your burial, the service that you want, uh, any other end-of-life ceremonies that you want. Uh, And you want to do it when you're in good health and you're still alive. Because now you make the decisions, not somebody else in your family. And trust me, I've done this a number of times in my life uh, where I had to go the day of my parents' death. And I had to go to a funeral uh, funeral uh, home and arrange uh, their funeral arrangements. It's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you just haven't even had time to grieve or deal with it, especially if it's a sudden death. Now, if someone's dying with cancer or something like that over some time, you're ready for it. But if it's a sudden death and now all of a sudden you're thrust in the role of having to to plan the entire funeral, uh, it's a tough thing to do. And you can also be taken advantage of by high pressure funeral homes that want to sell you the most expensive casket uh, and services. But pre-planning your funeral is a compassionate gesture for your family. And as I said, it'll benefit you as well as your Loved ones. First of all, it's going to save you uh, your family money. Uh, if you prepaid your funeral, um, they don't have to come up with the money to do it. All right. Now, not everybody has savings and investments where they have it to do it. Um, in my case, I had to pay. I had to pay part of my father's funeral because and my mother's funeral because they didn't have the savings to do it. So, if you save for it over time, 
All right. Now you're not putting that burden on your family. So pre-planning, it could save your family money. Also, you lock in today's prices for your casket and everything else that you choose because when you purchase into this pre-planning arrangement, uh, what happens is you lock in prices. It also helps your family with conflict and stress. I mean, you know, not all siblings are going to agree on what should happen at your funeral. And it can cause major problems in a family. Trust me on this one. All right. So you want to plan everything. They, just the way you want. The music, the pictures, uh, the, the, the speeches that may be given there, the readings. That's something that you should be able to do. And you don't want to leave it up to your family to do that. Uh, and if you plan your funeral in advance, again, every single wish that you have for your funeral and for your family, uh, you've already picked. Now, the first thing you have to do when you're planning your own funeral is decide how you want your remains to be handled. Uh, do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be, um, um, I guess there's other things that could happen with your body. Some people have it compressed into diamonds. Uh, some people want it put in a fireworks and explode it on 4th of July. Uh, some people want to go to space uh, and they're put on a spacecraft. Um, uh, there's some pretty crazy things. Or some people want their ashes scattered. Um, my father-in-law, he was a big boater. He lived on the river. Uh, and his wishes were that his ashes be scattered in the river. Now, decide what type of service you prefer. I mean, now that's basic... Four basic categories of services. There's more. The first one is your classic funeral. Now, this is a traditional service with the, the body is present, either in an open casket or um, a closed casket, or if you're cremated immediately in an urn. Now, you could choose to have a wake where people come and visit, or visitation, they call it, or a viewing. That could be held before the, uh, the final service or after. Uh a graveside service you could have. Uh, these take place, obviously, at the body's final resting place, like a cemetery. And it's often held in addition to a funeral. So, you know, you go to the funeral, you go to the wake. The next day you go to the, the church or the synagogue for the funeral. And then everybody, at least a close family, goes to the graveside uh, for the final service. Another way you could do it is a memorial service. More and more people are doing that now uh, to save costs to either themselves or their families, what they're doing is uh, they're being they're going directly to cremation or directly to burial without a viewing or anything like that, and then you have a memorial service without the body present. Uh, and this, again, takes place after the burial, after the cremation. And now another very popular thing that people are doing is the celebration of life. This is a more joyful event, and it honors the life of the deceased. And I think that's a great development, you know, uh, especially when you're dealing with somebody who didn't die tragically, did not die young. It's hard to have a celebration of life when someone dies in their 30s or, you know, or they die tragically in an accident or something. It's very tough to have a celebration of life because it is truly a tragedy. But if somebody lived a, a long, prosperous, happy life, uh, has accomplished a lot of things, uh, then a celebration of life would be a really nice thing. And I've been to them, and I, I just thought they were great. So now you have to find the right funeral home that's going to meet your needs and aligns with your personal taste and with your budget. And how do you do this? You visit funeral homes. That's the only way you can do it. 
You go to a number of funeral homes where you live, go in person, get detailed quotes, uh, and see which one you like the best. Uh, and sometimes it's something as simple as the funeral director, uh, that he's very compassionate. You feel very comfortable with him. You think he'll make your family feel comfortable when they're there. Um, read online reviews. Believe it or not, you can get reviews of potential funeral homes. Uh, you can get reviews on anything and anybody nowadays, right? Um, but usually if you go to their websites, uh, you'll see uh, testimonials. Uh, I also would call the Better Business Bureau to see if there's any issues with that funeral home. So find a funeral home that meets your needs and makes you comfortable and uh, is in your budget. Now, another thing you could do is uh, make your service or your funeral a, a reflection of who you really are. You select the flowers, the music. The pallbearers, the guests to be invited, the guests that you don't want there. How about that? You know, we all know the situation where we go to a funeral and then somebody shows up, you know, Uncle Joe that nobody's talked to uh, and mom didn't want to have anything to do with him. That's happened to me a number of times in funerals that I've been involved with. Somebody shows up that I didn't want there. And I'm sure uh, my dad or mom would not want there, but they showed up. So you can go out of your way and say, look, mom, my mother doesn't want you there. We don't want you there. Now, it's kind of distasteful. I know it's a difficult thing to do. Um, but, you know, you know, somebody shows up that, that, that is not close to the family uh, or just the opposite. Uh, the family's having problems with uh, that. That is uh, that's disrespectful to the deceased and disrespectful to the family. Another thing you want to do is. Uh, Put somebody in your family in charge of this, of executing your wishes when uh, when you pass. Uh, that way, you don't have family fighting all over it. Right? Just you know, your oldest son, whatever the your daughter, whoever you're most comfortable with handling that. Put it in writing that you want them to handle all the arrangements that you've already made. They just have to execute it. And I would name a second person, another child, uh, if they don't want to do it or they're unable to do it, because something may happen. You know, they may predecease you, uh, or they may be ill. Uh, or they may just not be, you know, comfortable doing that. All right, so how do you pay for this? Well, you can pay for it all up front. Most people do that. Uh, or what they do is uh, some funeral homes will allow you to make uh, installment payments over a number of years. Uh, and this money, I know in New Jersey, it goes into a trust fund. It's called Choices. And you get interest on that money. Uh, and most importantly, though, you've already paid for everything. Nothing's going to go up. And uh, your family won't have to lay out a dime. Now, what happens? You got to find out what happens if I, I paid and I got half of it paid. Can I get a refund of the other half of the half that I actually did pay if my family wants to do something different? Um, and find out what's guaranteed in the services. And, you know, sometimes what they um, will put in the contract is equal value. You know, if you ever see that term equal value, uh, that means that if the item that you purchase, say a certain casket, is no longer available. Because a lot of people pre-plan their funeral 10 years before they die, even longer sometimes. Well, maybe that's out of stock. Maybe they discontinue that that style of casket. Um, then they can replace it with something of equal value. value. And make sure the funeral home's terms uh, will still leave you with uh, truly comparable services. Uh, and um, and goods that you purchased. 
Now, you got to understand the terms of the purchase agreement. Uh, and I think not enough people read these things. Uh, can you transfer it if you relocate? So, so say you buy this now and 10 years from now you want to move to Florida. Can that go with you? Can, can, can that money go with you and transfer it to another funeral home? Many times it can, but sometimes it don't. Are you protected if the funeral home goes out of business? So read the terms of the agreement carefully and ask any questions you have before signing the agreement and paying anything. Now, most importantly, if you don't tell your family about your pre-planning, they're not going to be aware of your funeral plans. So give your family physical copies of receipts and contracts. Um, Don't put them in your, your, your safe deposit box. They may not be able to access that. Uh, and make sure your family knows what these plans are and where this document is. Now, I have a, an end-of-life uh, checklist, if you will, that I created oh God, 20 years ago. Uh, it's called the Estate Letter of Instructions. Uh, and on the first page, it says if you've made pre, uh, you pre-planned a funeral arrangement. What's the funeral home? What are you getting? Where's the document that has uh, the receipts in it and everything else? Uh, that's a very good, very good thing to have. That document also has all your assets, uh, phone numbers of your accountant, your financial planner, um, uh, your doctors. Not that you're probably going to need to call the doctor at that point, but uh, it has all the information about where your money is. And that's very important because if you've ever had to, to be the executor of an estate of somebody and they're very unorganized about where things are, now you have to go on a forensic uh, accounting mission to try to find out where their assets are. And that's no fun. So here in one document, you have all that stuff. Also, uh, do you have any insurance? It'll be there. A lot of people don't know. Does mom or dad have an insurance policy? Where is it? How can I find it? That would all be in the estate letter of instruction. So if anybody wants to get one of these, it's free of charge. Just email me, lou at the com, And I'll be happy to just email you um, a copy. And you can fill it out yourself. And again, tell somebody where it is, most important thing. Now, what are some of the mistakes people make in uh, funeral pre-planning? Um, waiting till your health suffers to do it. Too many people wait too late. If you plan your funeral and you're healthy, uh, you'll make more thoughtful arrangements. You'll have time to think it through. Uh, when you're ill and you see, you know, uh, you're passing relatively soon, you're not in the right frame of mind to really do this. So do it when you're healthy. Uh Another mistake people have is they don't explore all their options. They go to the one local funeral home. They settle on the first option that they have instead of going around and shopping. Now, the one thing is when you're pre-planning your funeral, especially when you're healthy, yeah, well, we never know, but you have all the time in the world to do it. So you don't have to do it, you know, in one weekend. Take your time, go to a number of funeral homes, look at the different options, look at the cost, and then decide um, where you want to go. Another thing, too, you got to settle on a budget, too. I mean, you got to make sure that you know how much money you're willing to spend on this funeral, obviously, and find a, a funeral home that's within your budget and lock in the prices. Now, one of the things people ask me all the time, if I prepay my funeral and I go into a nursing home, are they going to look, is that part of the five-year look-back period, the money I spent on that? And the answer in New Jersey is it's not. You can spend money to prepay your funeral uh, and still collect Medicaid if you need it for long-term care. 
and I highly recommend anybody do that because if you don't do it, then you have no assets and then your family has to pay for the funeral out of their own pocket. Uh, so uh, I would pre-plan it uh, if I can't afford it. Now, this may be a little controversial for some people. Uh, I put it on a credit card. Especially if I know my health is deteriorating and I know I really don't have much in the way of assets, uh, what will happen is once I die, uh, that debt will go away because the estate has no assets. It happened with my father. He had a, he had a, a small credit card bill. Uh, he didn't have any assets when he died. Uh, and I just called the credit card company and told him, look, you know, you can't get any blood from the stone. The, the estate is empty. Uh, and uh, insolvent, and there's no money for you, and it just went away. So that's one way to prevent your family from having a, to, to uh, fork up the money for your funeral. So pre-planning a funeral is smart. Um, it is, uh, funerals are expensive. You know, the National Funeral Directors Association, they say the, the median cost of a funeral with a burial and a viewing is $7,800. Well, that's not the case here in New Jersey. I'll tell you that. Uh, you're looking anywhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars for just a, a basic funeral. I know my father; he was cremated, uh, but we we still spend about fourteen thousand dollars on his funeral. So, if nothing else, the one thing you'll find by pre-planning your funeral is what is it going to cost? Uh, I mean, who really knows until you start pre-planning it, choosing the casket you want, the services you want, and how long the viewing is going to be. Uh, but a uh, smart thing to do. The best gift you can give your family, uh, especially if you're single. Um, if you're married, you really don't need to do that uh, because chances are the surviving spouse knows what you want, where you want to be buried, uh, what funeral home you want to use. It's more important when you're single, you're a widow or widower, uh, and you're getting on in age, and now you want to do your, your family a big favor uh, and pre-plan your funeral. Make sure you do it. It's really, really a great thing to do. If you own a home or a condominium, I'm pretty sure that you probably have homeowner's insurance. Why do you have it? Because things can happen like fires, hurricanes, snowstorms, theft. <laughs> There's no shortage of bad things that could happen to your home and its contents. The good news is you could protect your investment in your house uh, by getting home insurance. But like all kinds of insurance, whether they're talking about auto insurance, life insurance, travel insurance. Not all home insurance policies are created equal. Many home insurance plans contain gaps where you're not covered for certain events. So what does home insurance cover? Well, basic home insurance policy pays to repair and in some cases replace or rebuild your home and other structures on, uh, structures on your property when certain events take place. Most home insurance policies have five different types of coverage. Dwelling. This covers damage to your house and to structures attached to your home, like your porch and your garage. If you have a fire or if a tree falls down on your house. Uh, other structures. This pays for damage to like fences, sheds. Uh, if you have a freestanding garage that's not attached to your property, um, you can insure that as well. Home insurance, you can insure personal property. This will uh, reimburse you for your possessions. 
including furniture, uh, electronics, appliances, clothing, uh, most insurance policies uh, ensure loss of use. What does that mean? This means uh, they'll pay temporary living expenses like hotel bills or meals while your home is being repaired after a disaster. Uh, it can insure against personal liability. Uh, this covers the cost of medical bills for people who get hurt on your property. And it pays for your legal fees if uh, somebody sues you. What about damage from a natural disaster? Well, most, poli- most policies cover uh, damage to your home from natural disasters, like a tornado or a hurricane or lightning or snowstorms, fires. Uh, a few years back, we had a bad hailstorm that came through Barnegat. And the worst part of the hailstorm came right over my house. And my retirement community, uh, almost everybody had damage to their, their roofs from the hail. And uh, for two to three years, all you saw was people getting their roofs replaced. And, and I had to get my roof replaced. As a matter of fact, the contractor said uh, my roof was the worst he's seen of all the ones he's been looking at. So they replaced the roof. The insurance policy paid for the whole thing. It was certainly like almost $30,000. It was a ridiculous amount of money. But I paid, I think it was a $1,000 deductible, and the rest was paid by the insurance company. And what, you, what was good about that, it was uh, my roof was 20 years old, so it was getting close to be needing a replacement anyway. Uh, so it was uh, uh, fortuitous timing for me, I would say. Um. So does homeowners insurance cover what's in your home? Yeah, it covers the contents of your home. Now, of course, you need to provide evidence of your belongings uh, to the insurance company to file a claim. So it's really good. Now, after your house burns down, it's pretty hard to uh, do that. Uh, the best thing you could do is do an inventory of your house, um, take your video camera out, you, you know, your, your iPhone or whatever, uh, and walk through your house and videotape every room. Or take pictures. There's your proof. It's not hard to do. Um, as I said before, it covers short-term living expenses. Um, what does not? What does a home insurance not cover? Well, a standard homeowner's insurance policy does not cover damage to your dwelling from a flood. Now, if your home is located in a flood zone, your mortgage lender will most likely require you to purchase flood insurance. Now, the federal government has a national flood insurance program, and that's where most people get their flood insurance. And depending on where you are, it's not cheap. Uh, I have clients in Florida uh, that tell me that uh, flood insurance is hugely expensive there. Uh Home insurance does not cover damage that results from land movements, such as an earthquake, a landslide, or a sinkhole. I didn't know that. Uh, So if you live in an earthquake zone, um, you need to purchase earthquake insurance. And that's obviously particularly true if you live in California. Um, Californians can purchase a policy through the California Earthquake Authority. Um, so what if you live in a flood zone, you're prone to earthquakes and wildfires. How many insurance policies do you have to buy? Does home insurance cover, um, water leaks 
that damages your home, like if a pipe were to burst. Insurance does not cover damage from leaks that are a result of poor maintenance on the part of the homeowner. So if you had a slow leak and uh, it just got worse over time, they're not going to they're not going to cover you. Now I'll tell you another experience I had. I uh, in my previous home, uh, I put a lot of money into my basement. I had a custom basement built, a bar, beautiful screen TV, uh, mahogany wood. It was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, one day I came home from a, a trip and a pipe had busted, uh, in the ceiling over the basement and there was a foot of water down there. Uh, needless to say, I was quite disturbed <laughs> when I, not the way you want to return from a vacation, but sure enough, insurance covered everything, replaced the carpets, everything that had to be fixed or replaced my insurance policy, um, paid for it. So I've got my money out of my homeowner's policy over the years. What about mold? What if you find mold in your house? Mold is not usually covered by a home insurance policy unless it um, sprung up as a result of what's called covered peril, such as um, a water heater uh, busting and causing flooding, which eventually leads to mold. So you see, there's all kinds of hoops sometimes you have to jump through. But, um, you know, if it's neglect, like you had a leaking pipe and you did nothing about it, they're not going to cover it. Again, how are they going to know that? I don't know. What about valuable possessions you have, like jewelry, art, gold coins? Um, They're not covered by a standard home insurance plan. If you want to insure these items at full value, uh, you're going to need to have them professionally appraised and person uh, purchase a personal property endorsement or a floater to your insurance policy. And how much does it cost? Well, it's about 1% to 2% of the value of your items. So if you have a $5,000 engagement ring, it would cost $50 annually to insure it. What if you run a business out of your home? A typical insurance policy provides only $2,500. For business equipment. But for as little as $25, you can raise your policy's coverage to $5,000. What about shopping for homeowners insurance? You know, most of us don't shop around for this. And premiums could vary widely as well as coverages. And, you know, we're lazy. We tend to just leave things alone. Our car insurance, our homeowners insurance, it is what it is. You know, it comes through. We have to renew it. We just pay it and renew it. Um. But it's really true what Geico says. You know, spend 15 minutes shopping and you may save a ton on any insurance policy. Also, uh, if you have a good insurance agent, you know, maybe coupling all your insurances together. Uh, I use Allstate. I'm not endorsing Allstate. I don't know why I use them, but I do. I've used them for a couple of years now. But I, I use them for my car insurance and my homeowner's insurance. Uh, and apparently I supposedly get a discount because they do that. But like a month before your insurance is due to renew, do some shopping. Shopping these days is not hard, especially with the internet at our fingertips. Uh, we could do some shopping. Or if you can find a good independent insurance agent that doesn't represent just one company, uh, put them to work. Tell them, look, you know, find uh, the the best policy for me, the most cost-effective one, 
given my situation. And um, many times they'll be able to do that for you. And we all know that over the years that homeowners insurance rates have gone up a lot. I remember I, I used to pay, I don't know, $800 a year for my, my homeowner's insurance on my house. Now it's 1800 a year. Now, granted, the value of the homes go up. Therefore, the replacement cost goes up. I get it. But when you're paying close to $2,000 a year for um, homeowner's insurance, that's quite a bit of money. And, you know, insurance is the only thing we buy that we hope we never use. The only thing we pay for, we hope we never get the benefit of it. I have life insurance. I sure don't want to collect on it. I'd have to die. Um, I have auto insurance. I don't want to collect on it. I have to go through a crash. I um, have health insurance. I hope I don't use it that much because that means I'm ill or hurt. And I certainly um, don't want to use homeowner's insurance because usually that means my house burned down. Or a tree fell into it. Or something really bad happened. But the bottom line is if the worst things happen, we're glad we have it. And that's the whole purpose of insurance. And insurance is, uh, I think last I figured it out, it's it's roughly 10% of our budget. When we take into consideration all these insurances, it's probably higher now. I, when I wrote my book and I did the chapter on insurance, uh, it was about 10% of your budget. But now I think it's much higher because uh, the health insurance component uh, is much more expensive. The homeowner's insurance component is much more expensive. Uh, one thing here in New Jersey, though, I must admit, is that you know auto insurance in New Jersey 10, 15 years ago was horrible. Uh, almost unaffordable. It's come down a lot as there's been more competition in the state. And that's another thing about insurance. It's a weird industry in that uh, there's only a limited number of insurance companies that are allowed in any given state. Like in New Jersey here, there's only four health insurance companies. Now, I can't, I can't go to a, an insurance company that does not have a license in New Jersey. So that limits the competition. I got four plans to choose from. Uh and I think it's anti-competitive. It certainly is. And that's the way car insurance was in New Jersey for a long time. There's only a couple of three insurance companies. Now there's much more. You got Geico, you got um, uh, Progressive, you got a lot of the discount ones in New Jersey now. Uh, and that's made that a lot cheaper. So insurance, don't ignore it. You have to have it. It's certainly part of the financial plan that's overlooked many, many times. It's part of our budget that's overlooked a lot. And you could save a lot of money on it. And one way to do that is to take up more of the risk. Take a bigger deductible. That's one way to keep insurance policy down. Look, insurance isn't supposed to cover 100% of anything. The whole idea is it's supposed to cover uh, the most catastrophic risk you have. But if you want to take a $1,500 deductible on your car insurance for collision, uh, your premium is going to be a lot less than a $500 deductible. If you want to take a $2,000 deductible on your homeowner's insurance, that premium is going to go down a lot versus a $500 deductible. So by taking some of the risk on ourselves, and just think, the risk is pretty small, right? Uh, how many times have your house burned down? How many years have you used your homeowner's insurance? How many years have you used your auto insurance? Well, certainly not most of them. And if you did, you shouldn't be driving <laughs> Uh, 
But uh, chances are the insurance that we have will not be used. Uh, but if the worst happens, you have to have it. It's a, it's a necessary expense. But shop around, take a little bit more risk on yourself, and maybe homeowner's insurance won't be so burdensome. All right, let's take a quick break. I'm Lou Skatigner, and you're listening to the Financial Physician Podcast. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Registered advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. It's easy to get in touch with me. Just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Love your emails, you guys. Uh, Some of you are pretty funny. Some of you are really clever. Uh, I get mostly uh, wonderful comments on the program, and I really thank you for that. Thanks so much for listening, and and thanks for sharing um, the podcast with friends and family. I'm just so gratified each and every week. uh, The numbers just keep going up, and uh, that's because of you guys sharing this show uh, with friends and family. And that's the only way it grows is word of mouth because people don't stumble upon a podcast. On Thursday, I was alerted to uh, an article uh, from feedspot.com, which is a, a website about podcasts. And it was entitled the 60 best financial planning podcasts. And it was subtitled the best financial planning podcast from thousands of podcasts on the web and ranked by traffic, social media followers, and freshness. So right away, I got to say, if I'm listed in the top 60, uh, anywhere in there would be great. Uh, and to my surprise, the Financial Physician Podcast is a number three, number three best financial planning podcast in America. And that stunned me. Now, the number one podcast, financial planning podcast, is from financialplanning.com, which is a huge site. Um, so uh, thanks to you. It, it's up. It's you guys that made it number three. Um, we'll see if we could ever make number one. It's going to be pretty hard to dethrone financialplanning.com. Uh, uh, but boy, I was stunned to see that we were third. Um, and that's all because you guys, that's because you guys are sharing it and the numbers are going up each and every week. And I will take credit for part of it since, uh, the content is my responsibility. Uh, but thank you so much for, uh, making us uh, number three of the 60 best financial planning podcasts in America. I thought it was really cool. And for some time on 
Podomatic, where we uh, have our podcast uh, uh, hosted, uh, we've been the number one financial podcast uh, for many, many weeks uh, on the Podomatic platform. And there is hundreds of financial podcasts uh, on Podomatic. Uh, and that's because of uh, the number of people who download the program. And uh, it's been growing each and every week. Once we uh, stopped doing a radio show and went podcast only, it really started taking off. And I made the right decision doing that. And thanks so many of you who were listening to me on the radio for so many years uh, for following me to the podcast. I wasn't sure how many of you uh, radio listeners were going to still listen to the show on the podcast. And thankfully, many of you do. And I appreciate that. All right, that's enough tooting my own horn and patting myself on the back. Uh, let's move on. This week, uh, some very, very important uh, economic data came out, and uh, uh, the markets loved it. It was the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, and the PPI, the Producer Price Index, both coming in much lower than economists expected. What a surprise. A uh, government number coming out better than anybody expected. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of that between now and the election. Um, so they said that uh, inflation is only up now year over year 3.2%. Uh, I don't believe it. I'm sure many of you don't believe it. Uh, but that's what they said. Stock market rocket higher. Yields in the bond market dropped. Gold went up. Uh, uh, it was just a very, very, very friendly number. Uh, and... Uh, but most Americans don't believe it. Now, of course, Biden came out and did a victory lap. See, we're getting inflation down. Well, inflation's still up. I mean, prices are still going up, but just not at the pace that they were going up last year. Uh, but he comes out like all of a sudden prices are going down. He doesn't know where he is anyway. We'll talk about that later. But uh, but uh, they come out and say, Bidenomics is working. Well, first of all, there's nothing that the President of the United States can do to get inflation down. That's the job of the Federal Reserve. And they've raised interest rates aggressively over the last year, uh, hurting very many Americans, by the way, especially those who are trying to buy a home for the first time uh, or who want to uh, buy a car or finance anything. Um, everybody's getting hurt by that. But, you know, Bidenomics is working. See, 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 inflation's down. See, see, the GDP went up 4.9%. Nobody believes it. And especially in the grocery store, that's where people are seeing, you know, inflation is just, I haven't seen any prices come down, really. And still, you get half a cart worth of groceries, it's 200 bucks. Now, I was in the, the food store in my local Acme uh, this past week, and I was on a checkout line. And there was a woman in front of me checking out. Uh, and she was really having a problem with the high prices of groceries. Take a listen. Find everything you need today? Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. No. Everything okay, ma'am? Oh, it's just that you've only scanned a few items and it's already 60 bucks. I'm so scared. Okay, I'm a trained professional, ma'am. I've scanned a lot of groceries. I need you to stay with me. This it's isn't going to be easy, so I need you to be brave, all right? What's your name? Patricia. Patricia, all right. I need you to take a deep breath. We're about to do the cheese. Oh, my God. Don't look the up there. It only makes it worse. Keep your eyes on me, okay? <sighs> can't you just scan something less expensive? I can, but let's not forget. It's the little things that add up, all right? Now brace yourself. I'm about to do the mixed nuts. Oh, my God. I'm going to pass out. Okay, bite down on this, Patricia. <sighs> Get ready. I'm going to do the cured meats. Oh, no, stop. I can't 
too late. There's a line behind you, okay? You're locked in. I'm not strong enough. I know it looks like a lot right now, but I promise you, you're going to get home and you're going to wonder, what did I even buy? <laughs> what have you done to me, you son Okay, of a your total's $257.84. No! You got to dig deep. This is the hardest part. Patricia, it's time to pay. <laughs> you to be strong. Dig deep, Patricia. Insert your card. Insert your card, Patricia. You got this. You got this. You're doing it, Patricia. You're doing it. That's the way. Here you are, ma'am. A healthy bundle of groceries. <laughs> yeah, that was my experience uh, at my local Acme this week uh, with a woman in front of me in the checkout line. Um, really, it's, it, it, it's funny, but it really isn't funny. Uh or maybe not as dramatic, but, you know, most people are, you know, are surprised at how quickly that bill goes up as they're scanning stuff. And the funny thing was, if you watch the video, I came across this on Twitter or something. I don't, I don't even know where I got it. Uh, but I was dying when I first heard it. I said, I got, that's got to make the show on Sunday. No, no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, it's very funny. And if you see the video uh, and watch her face, it's just, uh, it's pretty hilarious, but uh, it's pretty sad at the same time. Uh, that that's what Americans are feeling. Maybe not that dramatic, but, you know, they're having um, credit, uh, what do they call it? sticker shock when they see how much a half a cart of groceries. Now, now, when she left, she only had like a bag of groceries, <laughs> you know, a big bag of groceries. That's it for $257. Um, but Joe Biden comes out and says that inflation's going down. So don't you worry about it. Don't you freak out at the checkout line at the grocery store. You know, many of us have bad habits in our lives, uh, bad financial habits, bad physical habits, uh, and many carry these bad habits into retirement. And this could be a really costly thing. Uh, I'm an advisor mainly to retired people. That's my niche. I'm, I'm an expert in senior financial issues, income planning, uh, things that retired people do and need. That's where my expertise lies. And I see it. Many people coming into retirement, uh, and I ask them a lot of questions. Some questions they don't, they're kind of surprised that I'm even asking them. But I'm trying to see what their habits are, what their inclinations are, and if that's going to sabotage their retirement. And there's an old adage that, uh, what, what is, how does it go? Bad habits die hard. And it's true. Uh, but the first thing you have to do is identify the bad habits that you have. Uh, and you have to look at them from how are they going to affect you financially in your retirement years because we're on fixed income now. Maybe we can get away with some bad habits when, you know, husband and wife are out there earning good money. But when you're retired and you live off Social Security and your savings, bad habits can destroy your retirement. And what is one of the, the worst that I see in my practice? It's spoiling your children. Well, I know spoiling is the right word, but helping your adult children with money is very common. And I see it all the time. Clients are always calling us up saying, I need 5000 I got to help my kid out. I, uh, they lost their job or they get behind on credit cards. Uh, happens all the time. Savings.com did a survey and said about half of American parents give an average of $1,442 monthly on average. Covering expenses from groceries to mortgages. Um, 
Now, if you compare that to the average Social Security check, which is about $1,700 to $1,800, um, the risk becomes uh, clear. So why is it a bad habit? I don't know if it's a habit, but, you know, look, some people, some of us just can't say no to our kids. I know. I, I help up my kids all the time. But I've seen my clients, widowed clients, uh, be bled to death by their adult children. Where it's actually a, a significant financial risk. And I got to tell them that, hey, you can't do this anymore. Well, what if I don't give them the money and they may lose their house? You know, I get it. You know, but uh, uh, what happens when you run out of money? Uh, are they going to be able to take care of you financially? No. And if you uh, continually bail out or financially support your adult children, uh, you could deplete your retirement savings. Or I see many retirees cut back on their own essentials, their own essential needs or activities because the money's going to the children. And also, this, this habit could, um, it prevents your adult children from taking financial responsibility and being financially independent. And many times I see a family relationship strained. Look, if, if I'm financially responsible and financially secure, and I see my brother, who's not financially responsible, always hitting her up for money. Well, number one, he's depleting her retirement savings and maybe putting her at risk. I don't want that for my mother. Or number two, he's spending part of my inheritance. And I only mean that half jokingly. jokingly he is. If my brothers and sisters are, 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 are depleting mom's money, that's less money for the estate. And that can cause animosity between siblings. So uh, how do you kick the habit? Well, talk openly about financial expectations with your children, what you will and will not do. It's okay to say no. Um, and many of us just can't say no. And I know it's a hard thing. It's, it's just a very, very difficult thing. We love our children. We don't want them to see them struggle. Uh, but you have to worry about yourself at the end of the day. You did not, you did not go to work and save for your retirement uh, to give half of that money uh, to your adult children. That's not why you, that's not why you saved it. And I always tell my clients when they come in with their 401ks and everything else, and they tell me, oh, I just want to live off the interest that it earns or the dividends. I don't want to touch the principal. And I say, why not? Didn't you save this for your retirement? Or did you save it for your children's retirement? Uh, and you'll be surprised how many people don't want to spend their retirement funds. What's another thing that we do, we have bad habits that can cost us a lot of money, and that's skipping doctor visits. Many people, they avoid routine health visits to save money or out of fear of receiving bad news. Uh, we all know that feeling. If we, go to the doctor, if we don't go to the doctor, we won't, we won't hear anything bad. It's like, uh, like I, I, I recently took a, a cancer test. Uh, because my uh, my grandfather had bladder cancer, my father had bladder cancer, and now my younger brother has bladder cancer. So I, you know, it's concerned that maybe it's a genetic thing. So I said to my doctor, you know, what should I do? And he goes, I suggest you take this screening. It's called Gallery. It's relatively new, and it's a blood test. 
and they are able to detect any cancer cells, the DNA of cancer cells in your blood. Not only did it detect if you have any cancer in your body, uh, it detects what type of cancer it is because apparently different cancers have different DNA makeups. So I took the test and it took about 10 days to get the results. What do you think I was thinking about every day for 10 days? <laughs> like, oh my God, I wish I didn't take this test because I don't want to know. Thankfully, it came back. Uh, I don't have any cancer in my body, so I think it's a good thing, right? Now, these tests are not covered by insurance, um, and they're not cheap. Mine was like almost $800, uh, but it was worth it now to have the peace of mind to know that I don't have any cancer in my body because does anybody really know? No, we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know. We could. It just don't know. hasn't manifested itself in a bad way yet. So delaying medical attention can result in um, more severe problems or hospitalizations or medications or treatments down the line. And according to Fidelity Investments, a single 65-year-old today may need approximately 158000 just after tax just to cover health care expenses in retirement. That's one person. If you're married, double that. It's over 300000 so obviously, staying healthy, staying fit, exercising. Um, we all know how important that is. It saves money, but it also gives you a better quality of life, of course. So uh, what should you do? Well, build the habit of going to the doctor for regular checkups. Like routine car maintenance. You know, how many of us, you know, Take really good care of our cars, bring them in for oil changes, tune-ups, everything else, diagnostics, but we haven't been to the doctor in five years. It's insane, isn't it, when you think about it? What's more important, the healthier car or the healthier body? So get in the habit of, of doing routine checkups. If you catch something, you catch it early. What are some of the other things that, uh, bad habits that people take into retirement with them? Worrying about their investment portfolio all the time. Now, look, it's reasonable to worry about your investments, especially when the markets are going crazy. I mean, it's part of our psychology. You know, money is a psychological thing. I talk about it all the time on the show, on my book. Uh, losses sting more than gains make you feel good. So when we look at our portfolios and see it going down, we get really unpleasant feelings. And I have some clients that impulsively, obsessively is the word I should use, uh, are checking their investments every day. I mean, even if there's a small downturn, I get a call from them. I go, what are you doing? You're in conservative bond funds. What are you doing watching it every day for? Are you crazy? And why is that a bad habit? Because it makes you make hasty decisions. Sometimes it, it makes you lock in losses and you're selling just at the wrong time because you're panicking. Or you're buying too much of an investment because it's going up and you don't, you don't want to miss out. You want to make a lot of money and then it turns the other way. And research has shown that people who make frequent trades in their account, zig and zag all the time, uh, except when it's done by a professional money manager, but when the typical average person does it, 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 it results in lower returns because you're not an expert at what you're doing. And that's the thing about people who manage their own money. 
that have no training in it. Uh, if you don't have an advisor, you have a 500000 or a million dollar savings and you don't have a financial advisor, you're crazy. Because you're not a professional, unless you're a professional financial advisor yourself or just a person who's a, a financial geek that just lives this stuff. How do you know what to do with your money? How do you know how to judge markets or securities or companies or anything like that? How do you um, ascertain the risk that you have? What the potential drawdown or decline can happen to your portfolio? So it's good to have a well-thought-out, long-term investment strategy and consider seeking professional financial advice, not from a financial salesman, but from a certified financial planner and money manager. Try to tune out the daily news. I mean, you know, think about it. You know, news has been so bad this year. So bad. And uh, the stock market's still up for the year. So, you know, you never know how the market's going to react to bad news. But you hear a news announcement come out and you run for the hills. And that may turn out to be the right thing. Um, But you're better off having a professional do that for you. So you don't have emotions involved. Uh, What's another bad habit we have in retirement? Procrastination. This is especially true when doing estate planning. Like drafting a will. Getting a power of attorney. You know, it's a recent study was done. It said over half Americans over 55 do not have a will. That blows my mind. So delaying decisions like um, about estate planning uh, or other retirement necessities, whatever they are, can lead to higher costs or financial losses in the long run. Uh, And if you put things off... uh, you know, procrastination causes stress because once we get it done, it's behind us. Do you ever keep putting some something off, putting it off, putting it off, especially if it's distasteful or makes you feel uncomfortable? Say you've been meaning to have a, a conversation with one of your adult children about something uh, and you just keep putting it off because you know it'll be unpleasant. Well, that's procrastination, and procrastination of of tasks leads to stress. I've often found when I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it, get it over with, I feel much better. I'm glad I got got it done. I'm glad I got it behind me, whether it's drafting a will or having that conversation with my son or whatever it is. Actually doing it and getting it behind you is how you relieve the stress of it. Prioritize the tasks that you need to get done. Give yourself deadlines. Work with an estate planner, a financial planner, or an accountant. That'll make sure that you get these things done, or a lawyer. Um, Very important. That's one of the things that we can't put off, and it's a very bad habit that a lot of retired people have. It's not doing their estate planning. Uh, what is another one? Uh, oh, being lax with cybersecurity. This is a big one. It's a relatively new one. You know that what the favorite password that people use is? Password. That's right. <laughs> uh, you're not alone. There's other people that do it too. It's one of the most used passwords in the world is password. But of course, that makes you a prime target. 
So when you're in retirement, it's no time to disregard your cybersecurity. One AARP study estimates that $28.3 billion is lost to elder fraud scams each year. $28 billion. So falling victim to these scams or identity theft obviously could uh, result in significant financial losses. Unauthorized transactions in your accounts. The cost of recovering from identity theft. If you know anybody who's had that happen to them and they didn't have like a life lock or something like that, insurance to protect them, uh, it causes a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. Uh, You feel violated. You feel psychological stress. So one thing you could do is educate yourself on common online and phone scams. Know what's going on out there. Use strong passwords. You know, it makes me laugh. You know, you know, when you go to a new website or something and you're setting up an account and it, it, it's, you know, you're setting up the password and this, they suggest this password. AK4GXZ uh, ampersand um, comma uh, period. D S small Q capital W uh, three, four um, uh, parenthesis parenthesis. Uh, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to accept that password because I'm never going to remember it. Uh, So I change it to my common password that I always use. That's another negative thing to do. You shouldn't use the same password on all your accounts because once they figure out the password on one of them, they'll be able to get into all of them. Um, so that's something, that's some advice I should take myself. So, um, try to, uh, have, you know, good software that detects, um, viruses or any kind of malicious programs. I mean, it's amazing the things that they've developed now to steal money from people through technology. So as you enter retirement, uh, make an evaluation of the bad habits you have. That may cost you a lot of money in retirement. And make sure that you figure out ways to um, make it better. So uh, so you do have a secure retirement. So are you considering a retirement in the South where it's nice and warm? It's the beginning, almost the beginning of winter. It's cold up here in the Northeast. Many people dream about going down to Florida. And retiring in a nice warmth. So should you join them? Should you consider doing that? Well, you got to look at all the pros and cons. And, you know, Florida is not just beaches, Disney World, and a massive retirement community known as the Villages. I have a lot of clients that live there. So uh, if you uh, ask residents and experts, I've read a lot of articles on this, about the the do's and don'ts of living in Florida, uh, it's not as simple as you think. First thing you have to know and and be aware of, expect lots of company if you retire in Florida. Florida has become the nation's fastest growing state, and it's been growing for a long time. Uh, It went up almost 2% between 2021 and 2022. Now, a lot of Americans now are getting away from uh, Democrat-run cities and states, high-tax states, high-crime states, and moving towards Texas and then moving towards Florida. 
So you're going to have a lot of company there. About 22% of Florida residents are 65 and older. So uh, depending on where you, uh, you buy, you may be surrounded by people that look old or oldish. And everything's geared to retirement people down there. I mean, uh, all the commercials are for like, you know, walk-in bathtubs, Medicare Advantage insurance, Lifeline, they're falling, I can't get up. Uh, so, uh, you know, you have to understand that that's what you're going to be bombarded with uh, in your newspapers and on your TVs and on your radios. Now, people think that Florida is the sunshine state and it's always sunny there. It's not true. Now, if you've been there, I've been there many times, you know that almost every day there's thunderstorms. Uh, and sometimes pretty severe ones. And um, Florida is known as the light, lightning capital of the United States. It has the most lightning strikes. And it has the most severe lightning strikes. And we all know that Florida is a bullseye for hurricanes, right? So for half the year, you have to worry about is, is a hurricane going to come across and uh, blow my house down? And because of the frequency of hurricanes, the cost of insurance. I just mentioned uh, homeowners insurance before. The cost of insurance is high. And you may need flood insurance. Also, if you want to replace your windows, you need to spend more money for hurricane-proof windows. And you have to be concerned that, you know, if there's no damage to your house, uh, what about power going out for a week or more? So harsh weather is one of the things that you have to consider before you move to Florida. Now, on the other side of the argument, lots of sunshine, warm temperatures year-round, it's a good thing. Uh, but for the small amount of time uh, a day that you have thunderstorms or the small amount of time during the year that you have hurricanes, um, not so nice. Now, moving to Florida could save you a lot of money on taxes. Uh, Florida is one of the most uh, tax-friendly states in the country. There's no state income tax. Uh, so you don't have to worry about paying any state tax, no matter how much money you earn. Uh, so you take money out of retirement plans. It doesn't matter. There's no inheritance tax in Florida. There's no estate tax. Now, the question is, uh, if you're a snowbird, uh, are you a Florida resident? Or are you a New Jersey resident? And there's strict, um, residency laws in both Florida and New Jersey. You have to spend six months in a day in Florida to be considered a Florida resident. And don't expect uh, the state tax office to take your word for it. Uh, keep good records of that. Because sometimes what these state agencies do is they look at easy pass debits. Well, if you have easy pass debits in New Jersey, uh, how many days are you in New Jersey? They look at ATM withdrawals. You use your ATM card in New Jersey, like, you know, for 30 straight days. 
or six straight months. So you got to be careful with that. They do look. So what if you um, need to prove, prove that you're a Florida resident? Well, register to vote in Florida. Get a library card. Change your driver's license and your car registration. Establish relationships with healthcare providers. Open uh, bank accounts at a local bank. Keep the receipts for your ATM withdrawals. So there's things that you need to do. But I'm telling you, if you're going to spend seven months in New Jersey and you're going to go down there five months, they're going to catch you. New Jersey is going to catch you because Florida don't really care because they're not collecting any taxes. But New Jersey's smart on this stuff. You know, people have a house in Florida. They go down there for four months in the winter and they, they call themselves Florida residents. I ain't going to fly in New Jersey. Another thing about uh, a negative uh, of Florida is right now homes are in short supply. Um, and it's expensive. I mean, uh, the price of homes, of course, the country have gone up. Uh, but the average price of a home in Florida is um, almost 400000 compared to about 348000 for the rest of the country. And um, they're low on inventory right now, and it's, it's, it's a seller's market, just like the rest of the country. Um, but you may have to pay up for a house in Florida. And I mentioned before, you're going to need plenty of insurance, you know, maybe flood insurance, hurricane insurance, regular homeowners insurance. Well, here's a real negative of living in Florida. Florida has its very own ecosystem. And it's full of creepy crawling things and flying things down there. There's a lot of uh, bugs. There's a lot of termites. Uh, not to mention alligators, snakes. Um, what's interesting here, of the top 50 U.S. cities with the most termites in 2021, Florida scores six. Miami, Tampa, Orlando, West Palm Beach, Jacksonville, and Fort Myers. According to pest control company Orkin, Miami was number one in the country for termites. So that's something else you'll have to pay for. You know, Florida has 1.25 million alligators. Wow, I didn't know it was that many. Uh, and you see more and more stories of alligators crawling people's lawns and golf courses and everything else. I played golf in Florida once. I saw an alligator. First time I ever saw one, like, not in captivity. Uh, and uh, it made me a little stressful. <laughs> Let's say the least. And we're seeing alligator attacks increasing every year. There's also Panthers. Right? There's, what was it? Hockey team, the Florida Panthers. Um, now, there's no reports of Panthers attacking people. Uh, but they do love to eat pets and livestock. Burmese pythons are growing in numbers in Everglades National Park. 
and showing up in homeowners' pantries, cars, laundry rooms, and other spots. Um, <laughs> uh, that's another reason why I wouldn't want to maybe live uh, in Florida. Another thing you got to be um, wary of is tourists. I mean, Florida is a major tourist destination. Uh, if you've ever visited Orlando, you know what I'm talking about. If you ever gone to Florida, to Miami, you know what I'm talking about. 137.6 million tourists visited Florida in 2022. Setting a record for the highest visitation in state history. So you're going to have to deal with all those people. Uh, Florida is called the Sunshine State. That could be bad. Uh, what if you uh, wind up getting skin cancer because you're out in the sun all the time? And it's uh, especially when you get older. Not only that, um, sunshine could cause premature wrinkling of your skin. Um, so it's sun's not really good for you. Now I must say I'm a I love sunbathing. Uh, I get a really nice tan in the summer, my Italian blood. I feel um, impervious to skin cancer because my skin tone is dark. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean I won't get it. But I'm not much in the sun between October and April. So I get that break. You don't get a break in Florida from the sun. So uh, a lot of positives living in Florida, a lot of good stuff, good weather most of the time. Uh, If you're an older person, you like to be with your own kind of people. Plenty of uh, seniors there in Florida. But many people go there mainly for the weather. And if you're willing to risk hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, severe thunderstorms, then maybe Florida is right for you. Another thing you have to think about if you're going to move away, uh, you're going to be away from your family, most likely. How are you going to adapt to that? How are they going to adapt to you not being there? Uh, Maybe you're going to be homesick. Maybe you do like the four different seasons, and you only realize that uh, when you're sweating to death in Florida all year. Uh, So I advise clients that are considering doing that uh, is to go down there for like three months. Rent a place, don't buy, don't commit, don't put your roots down, uh, and see how you feel. How do you like it? How do you like being away from the family? How do you like the weather? How do you like worrying about hurricanes and tornadoes and thunderstorms? What do you think about the bug situation and the critters? Uh, many people, they have buyer's remorse uh, when they move away from the state or the city that they grew up in and raised their children in. And that's why there's so many retirement communities in New Jersey because many of us are trapped in New Jersey. Uh, what do I mean by trapped in New Jersey? Well, um, my wife said when, when I retired, we're not moving to Florida, we're not moving anywhere, we're staying in New Jersey because that's where my kids and grandkids are. So I'm trapped. And besides the Jersey Shore, I hate the state. I hate it from a tax perspective, the cost of living, the politics, the congestion, 
people aren't nice. That's one good thing. You move to the South, you're going to find a lot of nice people. Uh, and it'll put you off because you're not used to people being nice. But you go to the Northeast, people are totally different. Well, the problem you have now, too, is all the people from the North are moving to Florida, so <laughs> they may not be nice down here too much longer. Uh, but yeah, you know, do a trial run. Rent a place down there for months in different seasons uh, and uh, then decide whether or not you want to put down roots and buy a home. Because many people, I've had clients who've done this, They've moved down there. They thought their whole life that's where they wanted to be. They wanted to retire in Florida. They get down there, and after three or four months, they're homesick. Now, being a snowbird's one thing because you know you're coming back. Now, you're just going down there for the winter. You're avoiding the, the cold weather or the snow. That's different than being down there all the time. So, again, you know, do a trial run in different seasons uh, and see if you can handle the heat and humidity of the summer. Uh, you may not be able to do it. And then you have to come back and you have to sell your house maybe at the wrong time and then buy another house up here, uh, move all your crap up here again with the cost of that. So the best thing to do is to do a dry run uh, and then make that decision. All right, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about, well, it looks like Joe Biden's going to get off scot-free. What a big surprise regarding his classified document situation. We're also going to talk about uh, uh, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, still trying to get his name right. Boy, did he put a liberal CNN reporter, uh, left her speechless the way he came back to her on a question. Um, and, uh, and much more. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Luz Katigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark could train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Robert Hur, uh, the special counsel investigating Joe Biden's stolen classified documents, the, remember the ones in his garage and uh, all over the place. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, um, special counsel is not expected to bring criminal charges against good old Joe. This is outrageous. This is the way it works every single time. Democrats get away with murder. 
Donald Trump has a special counsel bringing on how many indictments to him for the same exact thing. It's not even the same exact thing because Trump was a president. He had a right to declassify everything. Joe Biden did not. So, uh, of course, you know, he didn't investigate anything. He didn't hear a peep out of this special counsel. And this, this is absolutely outrageous. You don't think we have a two-tiered justice system in this country? <laughs> we certainly do. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of documents he had. Some were from when he was in the Senate. Criminal activity. That is, that is a crime. And no charges. No, nothing to see here. His name's not Trump. He doesn't have an R after his name. He's got a D. And I tell you, this is getting really out of hand now. Uh, And they don't even try to hide it. Nine boxes of documents were taken from Joe Biden's lawyer's Boston office. We have no idea what's in those boxes because the National Archives is covering up for Biden. Joe Biden withheld information from the Senate Intel Committee. Then uh, Merrick Garland appointed this guy Robert Herr a special counsel to investigate. And uh, 10 months later, no charges coming. Just put it, you know, sweep it under the, uh, under the rug. Uh, and, you know, don't want to, don't want to um, spread justices, uh, department of justice's resources too thin. We need everything to go after Trump. And I want to know whether there were outrages from Republicans. Republicans remain mostly quiet about the weaponization of the Justice Department. Yeah, you have the committee dealing with it, but every Republican should be up in arms on this. The way the Democrats always get away with crimes and the Republicans, they manufacture crimes. It's just outrageous. And again, the Republicans are wussies. They are. And they have been for some time. And... uh, Without them speaking up, without them being outraged, uh, this is just going to go on and on. Speaking of our esteemed president, um, he welcomed uh, President Xi from China to San Francisco for the APEC summit. And uh, just hours after the summit where they supposedly made great progress in relations, uh, Biden goes to a news conference and calls Xi a dictator. Now, he was asked a question from the press. He's still a dictator. And he goes on to say, yeah, he is a dictator. Um, you know, a typical gaffe, Biden gaffe. Uh, just, <laughs> I mean, if you looked at Secretary of State Blinken, watch his body language as, as um, Biden is saying it. Uh, he actually winces. Uh, he just knew that this was the wrong thing to say. He just dis- destroyed four hours worth of negotiations and talks. Um And that statement's reverberated. China's come out and said things about it. And just a stupid thing to say. Um, But here you go. This this was the the press conference right after um, uh, the the conference. And Mr. President, after today, we do still look forward to President Xi as a dictator. This is a term that we used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that based on a government totally different than ours. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, he's telling the truth. 
But from a diplomatic point of view, it wasn't the right thing to say right after a summit. I mean, they rolled out the, literally rolled out the red carpet for Xi. Uh, gave the, the city uh, a nice cleanup. Took all the drug addicts and homeless off the street. Uh, made San Francisco the beautiful city that it once was, at least for a day or two. I'm sure it's going to revert right back to what it was within a week. Um, but uh, what that, that was a major, major gaffe. And as I said before, w- watching uh, Secretary of State Blinken's face, uh, uh, it was priceless. It really was. It was He was dying inside. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> it's just great. Throughout his presidential campaign, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, has showed exactly how one handles the media that run interference for the radical left in this country. And he did it once again on Wednesday night. He was a guest on um, leftist journalist, quote unquote journalist, Abby Phillips, CNN um, Newsnight. During the interview, she thought um, she could successfully bait him into attacking President Trump for a a comment he made about the radical left last weekend. Trump was giving a speech in New Hampshire, and he unleashed fire on the scum that's destroying the country. And in the process, he triggered the media and the Uniparty in the process. And this is what he said. He said, we will root out communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The real threat is not from the radical right. The real threat is from the radical left, and it's growing every day. I don't see anything really terrible about that. I guess if you're a leftist, you don't like it. Then Joe Biden came out, and he falsely accused Trump of employing neo-Nazi rhetoric. And that's what they do. You know, anything you say, they try to find a word in there and say, well, the Nazis used to say that. And then fat pig failed New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, who's got like 1% if that in polls. He agreed with Biden and warned that uh, Trump's remarks could incite violence. I don't know what really turned Christie off to Trump and where he hates him right now. Right. This is the same guy who was hugging Obama. Remember just before the election uh, during Sandy? Uh, a lot of people are saying the reason why, why Christie hates Trump so bad and badmouths him on TV, a fellow Republican, the leader of the party, and by far the, the leader in the polls and who's going to be the party's nominee. I think it's because that uh, Christie wanted to be um, attorney general and Trump wouldn't give it to him. And I think now he hates Trump because of it. So... Um, so she asked uh, Ramaswamy, you know, about this, uh, instead of asking him about, you know, policies that we should be talking about in this election. Uh, but he knew how to handle her. That language, they live like vermin. Do you believe that that is, as your uh, Republican colleague, Chris Christie, has said, neo-Nazi rhetoric? This is a classic mainstream media move. Pick some individual phrase of Donald Trump, focus on literally that word without actually interrogating the substance of what's at issue. The word was chosen for a reason. We are in the middle of a cultural war in this country. 
the well, word you know was what? chosen it, it, for a reason. actually describing a series of behaviors. You have Antifa and other related groups that have been burning down cities for the last three years in this country. Would you describe them While as they're violating the rule of law, we have an invasion on our southern border. We have millions of people crossing our southern border. Let's talk about the substance okay. of why we have to recognize would, that we're not in ordinary you, times. Would you so use that language So the vocabulary of the verbin or not is not what's important. Well, I haven't used that language. So, so you can look you? at my, my track record on the campaign trail. I talk about the issues. We all talk about them differently. But what I'm not going to do is play some game of focusing on some word that somebody else said without ignoring entirely the substance of what we're actually talking about. A border crisis of historic proportion. Economic stagnation we haven't seen in 50 years. A national identity crisis and a loss of national pride in the next generation that's potentially existential for this country. Let's talk about our dependence on China. Today we're actually talking about Xi Jinping. Picking on Donald Trump's word vermin to talk about that status quo. You know what's vermin? What's running around San Francisco on a given day before Gavin Newsom cleaned it up on a dime to roll out the red carpet for Xi Jinping. If he could do that for Xi Jinping, he could have done it on an ordinary day. And yet we're here sitting talking not about the substance of that, but on one word that Donald Trump said in some speech in Miami. This is what's wrong with the mainstream media. Focus on the substance and let's have an actual policy debate rather than talking to a presidential candidate instead of the policy substance of what's actually going on in the country. Picking on some word that Donald Trump said on a certain day and asking me for comment on it. Give me a break. Bravo, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, that's the way you handle the press. I like this guy a lot. I don't think he's ready to be president, and I wouldn't vote for him now. But he has a great political future. I mean, he really does. I mean, he has a very, very good way of speaking uh, and putting his thoughts together. And you should have seen her face at the end. She had no answer because Ramaswamy is exactly right. That's the way the press operates. And I said before, uh, the press runs interference for the far left. The press is the far left. And you could tell by the questions they ask Republicans. The way they, they throw softballs at, at, at all Democrats. They, keep the, uh, the, they deal with Biden with kid gloves, covering up all his failures. Um, but I like Vivek. I think he's got a, a really good future. Hopefully... Uh, Trump will be our next president, and uh, he'll give Vivek a nice position uh, in the Trump administration. That would be great. Now, I've told you uh, for a long time that there's a revolving door between the FDA, the people who uh, regulate COVID-19 vaccines, and the companies that manufacture them. It's a revolving door. They go back and forth. Um Two high-level regulatory officials with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration involved in vaccine oversight accepted jobs at Moderna just months after signing off on the licensing of the company's COVID-19 vaccine. See, isn't that convenient how that works? You know, you do what the big farmer tells you to do, regardless of the safety and efficacy of it, and then you get rewarded with a nice cushy job at the company. That's outrageous. You want to talk about conflict of interest? And it raises questions about, you know, the impartiality uh, and the independent the independence of top FDA regulators. Um, the last head of the FDA is now on the board of Pfizer. Dr. Doran Fink is a physician, scientist, experienced in regulation and clinical development and licensure of vaccines and related biological products 
and was deeply involved with vaccine regulation at the FDA for more than 12 years, according to his LinkedIn profile. Uh, and it goes on to say that he uh, did a lot of um, presentations at meetings held at the CDC on immunization practices. He uh, served on the senior leadership team for COVID-19 vaccine review and policy activities. As part of his role, he advised vaccine manufacturers on vaccine development throughout the pandemic and coordinated expedited review of regulatory submissions. So he's heavily involved, obviously, in the approval of COVID-19 vaccines. Most notably, Dr. Fink engaged in a senior-level review of the FDA's decision memoranda for emergency use authorization and licensure of COVID-19 vaccines, including Moderna's. So according to his LinkedIn profile, he left the FDA in December 2022 and started a job at Moderna as the head of translational medicine and early clinical development infectious diseases in February 2023. Uh, like I said, very convenient for uh, Moderna. Very convenient for Dr. Fink. Dr. Jaya Gashwami has a similar history. He began working as a medical officer at the FDA Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research in March 2020, had broad oversight over vaccines and biologics and clinical development, and um, he left uh, the FDA in June 2022 and began working at Moderna as their director of clinical development in infectious diseases. At Moderna, Goswami has been involved with the company's investigational mRNA vaccine against respiratory cynical virus, RSV. Um, so you think he still has friends at the FDA? He's in charge of this, development of this, and they, they, they bring it to the FDA for approval. He makes a few phone calls to his buddies over there, and he says, hey, make sure you approve that, and, um, you know, we'll have a job for you over here, you know. Uh, you know, after a while, just leave there. We'll, we'll double your salary, give you some stock options. Then that's the way it works. That's the way it works. And that's very, very troubling, because when now we're seeing this vaccine was anything but safe and effective. How many people have taken four or five shots and had COVID four times? And now we're seeing blood clots. We're seeing young people dropping dead, heart attacks, myocarditis, neurological problems, sudden death. Uh, And it's a troubling trend, you know, to that, that, these uh, and this is life and death stuff here. I hate to think the FDA, you know, approved these vaccines just for money reasons, just uh, uh, because of pressure from these big pharma companies and the the promises of a, a high-paying career. I mean, would that be evil or what? And I think that's exactly what happened. And this is not the first time uh, issues have been raised about the revolving door. There was a 2005 paper entitled, um, no, it was a 2000, October 2005 paper by the Revolving Door Working Group. That's the name of the group. As the movement of individuals back and forth between the private sector and the public sector. According to um, 
The Revolving Door Working Group, the government-to-industry revolving door is where public officials move to lucrative private sector positions in which they may use their government experience to unfairly benefit their new employer in matters of federal procurement and regulatory policy. This may allow public services, uh, public servants to use their office for personal or private gain at the expense of taxpayers. Cast doubts on the integrity of official actions could influence a government's employees' official actions through promises of a future high-paying job uh, with the company benefits from official actions. So you get it. Um, and the same thing happens in, in, in other industries as well. How about banking in Wall Street? Uh, people from Wall Street become SEC commissioner, treasury secretary, controller of the currency, uh, uh, regulatory uh, bodies, and then they go back to Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. And it, it's just the same thing. Everything's corrupt. Everything in this country now has become corrupt. And I'm believing now that maybe the most corrupt country in the world is the United States of America. I'm believing that more and more every day. And that's how empires fail. They become so corrupt and so bankrupt uh, in so many ways uh, that they diminish as superpowers, empires, whatever you want to call them. And boy, is there corruption throughout our government right now. Not only our government, all of our institutions, financial institutions, Wall Street, Hollywood, uh, virtually every aspect of American life now has been corrupted in some way or somehow the educational system that are spitting out. Do you hear this story about this TikTok thing where all these young kids are uh, uh, are liking a letter to America written by Osama bin Laden 20 years ago justifying the 9-11 attacks? In the letter he rants that the treatment of Palestinian people had to be, quote-unquote, revenged and expressed uh, justification for killing of innocent people in the name of jihad. So the letter was originally published uh, in the British newspaper, The Guardian, in November of 2022. Uh, but now that letter is going viral on TikTok after The Guardian linked to the article um, in a piece about you know the ongoing Israeli-Hamas war right now. And young people responded by posting a series of sick videos on TikTok praising Bin Laden's letter. Thousands of TikToks, at least, probably more now, have been posted where people share how they just read Bin Laden's letter. And, um, and these people endorse it. These kids endorse it. Here's some responses on TikTok. One young woman says the letter left her very disillusioned and left her feeling the same way when she was deconstructing Christianity. Another lady says she would never look at this country, meaning America, the same. A young man says he's shocked, but not surprised, and seemingly justifies bin Laden's actions. In reading this letter, I could only think of this tweet. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist. Because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. So according to him, America had no right to complain about being attacked because it was a colonial power. 
Another woman blames the United States as well. She says 9-11 was just the buildup of our government failing other nations. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is, these people are the future of America and are siding with the most infamous terrorist of all time against their own country. Now, the Guardian got alarmed about this, so they took down the letter, but the damage was already done. And this is an example of the social rot that is America right now. It really is. And you've seen it on college campuses. You're seeing, you saw this week, we had, what, I don't know what it was estimated, 300,000 people on the mall in Washington on a rally to back Israel. 300,000 peaceful people. Oh, by the way, Biden wasn't there, nor was Kamala Harris. But there was a lot of bipartisan uh, congressmen and senators there. I guess the ones that are Jewish, Democrats. Um, And it was a peaceful rally. It was a nice rally. People who have been there, I read a lot about it, said it was wonderful. It was beautiful. The next night, the anti-Israel crowds were unleashed on Washington, went to the uh, DNC headquarters, tried to break in. Attack police that tried to prevent them from going in. I mean, it was a real. If you saw the videos, it was. That's an insurrection. Yeah, I wonder if these people are going to spend a thousand, thousand days in solitary confinement without a trial. One arrest. One arrest. Six injured policemen, damage to the building, terrorist threats, and one arrest. Just unbelievable. This is the future of our country, and and, and these are the people that you see on college campuses. Backing Hamas because they've been indoctrinated. They've been indoctrinated in grammar school, middle school, high school, and certainly in universities. And these are the people going to be running our country in the future. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. So since uh, October 7th, uh, when what, 1,200, 1,400, I don't even know what the number is, of uh, innocent Israeli women children, elderly, were massacred brutally by Hamas. We've seen tens of thousands of people in the United States chanting the end of Israel. And this is not an organic thing. When you see these uh, protests, they just don't magically happen by themselves. It's just not 15, 20 people just decide to send each other an email and we're going to go somewhere and we're going to protest. This is all planned and it's paid for. And it's organized. And it's largely funded by this very wealthy American-born tech entrepreneur named Neville Roy Singham and his wife, Jody Evans. So who are these people? Well, since 2017, Singham has been the main funder of the People's Forum, which has co-organized at least four protests in New York. Uh... They had the first rally, October 8th, before the Israelis could even total their dead yet. Uh, He had it in Times Square. So they're based in Midtown Manhattan. And the People's Forum calls itself, uh, quote, movement incubator for working class and marginalized communities to build unity across historic lines of division at home and abroad. What the hell does that mean? I have no idea. 
but a review of public record show that this guy Singham and his wife Evans have donated $20.4 million to the People's Forum through a series of shell organizations and donor advisory groups, whatever that means too. And they account for basically all the funding of this group. Uh, And these two have uh, communist leanings going way back. And uh, who is his wife, Evans? She's the one who founded Code Pink. You remember that crazy group? Uh, Just last week, they were in Congress during the hearing on Israel. And these were the ones that put up their red hands and had to be thrown out of the place. He's uh, more than just a Marxist with deep pockets, this guy. This guy is also a China sympathizer. He lives in Shanghai. He has close ties to four propaganda news sites that boost the Chinese Communist Party's image abroad. And uh, he's a bad guy. So when you see these protests come about, these are Marxists. I told you, we're in the middle of a leftist revolution. It doesn't really matter. It didn't have to be Palestine. It could have been something else. That's not the purpose. This isn't a, these rallies are not about Palestine. They're about destabilizing the United States. That's what it's about. And sowing mayhem and violence. And this is happening in the capital of the United States. These groups are calling for the end of Israel, including members of Congress. It's just outrageous. Whatever happened to this country? Well, we know what happened. It's been radicalized. It's been indoctrinated. And uh, this is a big problem for the Democratic Party, by the way. How do they reconcile this? Jewish people, for the most part, are Democrats. Uh, And Biden's trying to walk a tightrope here. He doesn't want to offend the Muslims. He doesn't want to offend the Jews. So he's just very weak and non-committal to either side, which is the worst position to possibly take in a situation like that. Uh, from Antifa to BLM, all these riots, mostly peaceful, by the way, uh, all organized by revolutionaries that have only one goal in mind. And it's not a free Palestine. And it's not even the eradication of Israel. It's the eradication of the United States of America and its principles and its values and its culture and its history. And uh, there's a little pushback against them. Certainly not by this government. One arrest in a riot in a government building. Where do we hear that before? January 6th, right? Well, Democrats are melting down uh, after uh, the Texas legislature passed a bill that permits state enforcement of immigration laws, including the arrest and detainment of illegals who unlawfully crossed the U.S.-Mexican border. Now, it looks like Governor Abbott's going to sign this. Uh, The measure was approved 83 to 61 in the state house and 17 to 11 in the state Senate and makes it a state crime.
for anyone illegally crossing the border from Mexico between points of entry. Now, of course, every Democrat voted against it. What is wrong with these Democrats? These are Democrats that live in Texas, that represent Texas citizens. And they're against enforcing immigration law. It's insane. Texas has the right, authority, and ability to protect its borders. Republican Representative David Spiller, who wrote the House's version, said his measure is Texas' solution to a Texas problem. Democrats were furious. And um, they're furious because they don't want border security, period. Rep. Jolanda Jones from Houston called it un-American and racist. It's un-American to enforce our immigration laws. It's racist to do that. These people are absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. The Biden administration don't want to do their job, just letting them all in. And there's a plan. They're doing it on purpose. The Democrats are all in on it. They believe they're just letting in millions of Democratic voters. That they'll have vote, whether they're legal or not. That's the plan. Or the plan is to have mass chaos in the United States. But I tell you, these Democrats, it's just every single one of them. I mean, how is it not one Democrat in the legislature in Texas? That thinks that we should enforce our borders. Oh, it makes me want to pull my hair out. I don't think there's any subject that makes me crazier than that. Every time you see it, now you have to watch Fox to see it, where you see these people just walking across the border, walking across the border. Nobody's stopping them. Then they turn themselves in, some of them, and then they're released into the country. It's just uh, insanity. Here's a disturbing headline. CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, announces expansion of airport surveillance. What does that mean? The CDC and airport surveillance. I didn't know they did that. The CDC will increase its airport surveillance for respiratory infections, said statements from the federal agency and a private partner on Monday. The private firm Ginkgo BioWorks said that it's expanding its work with the CDC's travel-based genomic surveillance program to test for more than 30 additional priority pathogens in addition to SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. It then described the program as flexible, multimodal platform that consists of three complementary approaches to sample collection from arriving international travelers at U.S. airports, including voluntary nasal swabbing, aircraft wastewater, and airport wastewater sampling to enhance early detection of new SARS-CoV-2 variants and other pathogens, and fills gaps in global surveillance. So it's going to be voluntary. Yeah, okay. Who's going to get off of a plane and voluntarily be tested for anything. Uh, the CD said that uh, it, 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 quote unquote, enrolled more than 360,000 air travelers since it was implemented in late 2021. Adding that it is both voluntary and anonymous. It covers flights from more than 135 countries around the world. 
It sounds like it has a good goal here. Uh, but you know how government works. Uh, once they do it this way, uh, soon it won't be so voluntary and it won't be just international flights coming in. There's always that creep. And, uh, you know, they just take away your freedoms and your privacy, you know, inch by inch, brick by brick. It's not done overnight, although COVID was overnight pretty much. But uh, this is just another one of those dystopian surveillance kind of 1984 Orwellian government programs. And uh, I'm not volunteering. I'm not going to volunteer to get tested after a a 10-hour flight from Italy. Yeah, that's the last thing I want to do. And I think most people uh, will say, no, no, thank you. On the uh, end of the American Dream blog, uh, written by Michael Snyder. I I love Michael Snyder. He's a great writer. He's a good statistician. He likes to list examples of things where he's talking about the economy or culture or whatever. And he uh, wrote an article last week, 10 examples from 10 different cities of the Mad Max environment that now reigns in America's streets. And he says, it isn't just your imagination. We are really are witnessing a full-blown societal meltdown. In the United States today, there are millions upon millions of people that are completely and utterly lawless. We really have become a Mad Max society. And the future of our country is going to be exceedingly bleak if we continue down this road. So he goes on to list 10 examples in 10 different cities. Number one, theft has become so rampant in Washington, D.C. that CVS has replaced toilet paper and paper towels with framed photos of those products and a buzzer that customers must press to buy them. Uh, Because everything will be stolen. So you look at the picture of it, you hit the buzzer, somebody comes over, unlocks the toilet paper. Uh, It's... uh, How long do you think it takes to go shopping when, when, when that happens? Every product you want, you have to hit a buzzer, someone has to come and get it for you. Uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, see, this is the capital of the most powerful nation in human history. Uh, and uh, they have to lock up toilet paper and paper towels because just people steal. Unbelievable. Uh, number two, an axe-wielding carjacker in downtown St. Louis was shocked when one potential victim that he, victim that he approached decided to pray. A St. Louis man did something unexpected when he found himself in a dangerous situation on October 18th. Police say his decision to pray and not let fear overtake him resulted in an axe-wielding suspect leaving him alone after attempted carjacking in the city's downtown area. The suspect, identified as Rommel S. Taylor, 37, was charged with first-degree attempted robbery and felony robbery regarding two unrelated incidences. Wow, the power of prayer. (laughs) At least it worked in that case. Uh, Number three, four criminals wearing black ski masks recently robbed a jewelry dealer right in the middle of a highway in Los Angeles. The driver was robbed by a group of thieves last month when they crashed into his car on the 10 freeway. Uh, He was a jewelry dealer from Hong Kong. Four men in black ski masks driving a black Dodge Caravan crashed into a black Alfa Romeo at 1.30 p.m. October 24th, disabling the car on the eastbound 10 freeway near Arlington Avenue. Uh, A Ford Mustang was also hit during the crash, and they robbed him of his uh, jewels. 
How about uh, one of the, 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 the best cities? At least she looked like a best city this week when we had uh, Chinese in town. Uh, San Francisco. Unconscious addicts are sprawled across the road for hundreds of yards every single morning in downtown San Francisco. Uh, and have you seen these videos? People walking around downtown. These people are so intoxicated, so under the influence of drugs. Uh, people have to walk in the streets to go to work because the sidewalk is just littered with these zombies. Now, my question is, they were able to get them all. Where'd they all go when Zhang Zhangpi, where Ping was in town? Where'd they put them? And why'd they keep them there? Isn't it amazing that they could clean up the streets for communist China, but not for the Americans that live in San Francisco and work in San Francisco? It's crazy. In Oakland, a district attorney that got elected with the help of George Soros just had a laptop stolen from his own vehicle. Her own vehicle, I should say. So crime is so bad in Oakland, California, which is right across the bay from San Francisco. I don't know what's worse. My cousin lived there for a couple of years. He was telling me that that, that people are, be, are advised to keep their windows and their cars open and don't lock it and don't keep anything of value in there because they'll break the windows. So if your windows are open, they won't break them. They can just go in there and look around and there'll be nothing there and they'll move on. Do you believe that? How bad is crime in Dallas? Well, it turns out the retail theft in the city was up 73% through the first six months of 2023. Retail theft everywhere in the United States. Dallas and Los Angeles, where shoplifting increased 109%, experienced the highest reported retail theft in the first half of this year. Dallas, Texas, and Los Angeles. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, it's being alleged that a 16-year-old girl in Gordon, Nebraska, slit the throat of her newborn baby and stuffed the dead baby into a bag of dog food. I don't even know what to say about that. Star Held reported that an unidentified teen girl had been charged after the authority was called to the girl's home in Gordon, Nebraska on November 6th after being told the girl had given birth and that the baby was not breathing. Yeah, that's a, that's a disturbing one, to say the least. In Chicago, conditions have gotten so bad that immigrants are fleeing the city in large numbers. And one even declared that the American dream does not exist anymore. Can you imagine that going back to your third world country because it's horrible here? Michael Castejan, 39, an immigrant who came here with his family, told the Chicago Tribune that because he was unable to afford rent and unable to get his work permit, he was taking his family back to Venezuela. Well, good riddance. Go back to Venezuela. He goes on to say, the American dream doesn't exist anymore. There's nothing here for us. How many more months of living on the streets can we take? No, no more. It's better that I leave. At least they have my mother back home. We just want to be home. If we're going to be sleeping in the streets here, we'd rather be sleeping in the streets over there. Uh, how about New York City? Uh, he couldn't leave that one out. The Big Apple is overwhelmed by so many immigrants that Mayor Eric Adams is considering handing out tents and allowing them to camp in parks and other outdoor spaces. Oh, by the way, did you hear that um, uh, Eric Adams announced because of the migrant c- 
crisis and cause of the hit to their budget uh, that they're cutting the education funding and they're cutting the police department. They want to get the police below 30,000 people. It's just the opposite of what you should be doing. You have illegal migrants that have not been vetted all over the city, on the streets. God knows what else they're doing as far as crimes go. And in response to this overwhelming migrant crisis, you cut the budget for police. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. So we've truly become a lawless nation in so many different ways. Politically, we know what's going on with the Justice Department, but just in our main cities. And it doesn't look like there's any indication that that's going to turn around anytime soon. Um, and of course, um, police departments all over the country can't handle the level of crime that we're seeing. They're not made to the end of that kind of level. And of course, the Biden administration doesn't really care about it. And uh, we're moving towards Mad Max. I mean, I, I don't want to go to any city, especially if they're run by Democrats, if they're sanctuary cities. It's dangerous. And it's going to get more and more dangerous. More and more people are going to leave law-abiding people. And what's going to be left in these cities is nothing but criminals and drug addicts. And very few police. And it's going to be like a science fiction movie. Remember that old movie? I think it was, was it the 70s or 80s? Escape from New York. You're not going to want to go over a bridge or a tunnel into that city. uh, Unless you're heavily armed. Uh, that's how bad it's going to get. At least if we go down the path that we're going is that American cities are going to be a no-go zone. And you're taking your life in your hands if that happens. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful commentary on the state of America in 2023. All right, let's wrap it up with a, a pretty disturbing story. And this is the headline. Experts recommend isolating dogs amid respiratory, quote-unquote, mysterious illness. So now they want to lock down our dogs, right? They locked us all down during COVID, and now they want to lock down our dogs. Uh, And apparently there's um, a number of cases of a a fatal respiratory disease in dogs that have appeared in Oregon, Indiana, Illinois, Washington, Idaho, California, Nevada, and throughout the Northeast, as veterans scramble to determine what is causing the mysterious illness. The first symptoms is a pervasive cough that can last for several weeks and is resistant to traditional antibiotic treatments. And it seems to happen very, very quickly. It goes from a cough that just won't go away, and then all of a sudden the dog develops pneumonia. And they haven't been able to isolate it. They've been researching the condition, uh, but they just don't know what it is yet. And uh, dogs are not responding to traditional antibiotics. Um, And uh, the director of Animal Disease Diagnostic Lab, Kevin Snevick, um, whose facility has been researching the condition, uh, stated that your dog will run a fever and they won't feel good. They'll become lethargic, meaning they want to lie around more than they normally do. They don't want to play outside. 
coughing part of it uh, becomes a more productive wet cough, like a hacking cough. Uh, they also say some of the symptoms are sneezing, nose discharge, eye discharge, um, and trouble breathing. Purple gums, deprivation, um, oxygen deprivation. Um, but the dogs have negative tests for all other respiratory illnesses that we know of. So what is this? Is this some kind of new plague now that's going to flow through the, the animal kingdom here, or mainly dogs? Uh, it's very puzzling to the American Veterinary Medical Association. And they're trying to see how contagious this is. And they're saying um, that dogs are most likely to, to contract this illness by being in close contact with numerous other dogs, like in, in, in a, a kennel or groomers, or, you know, um, or dog parks. It's just like, I guess, the humans uh, get sick and, and trans- transmit diseases to each other. Um, so what they're saying, basically, is to keep your dog in a house. Lock down your dog until they figure out what this is and how to treat it. Uh, and I guess that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you love your dog, uh, you don't want him to get sick. And it was also went on to say, if you're going to go travel for the holidays, do not put your dog in a kennel because you're risking them getting whatever this uh, fatal disease is for dogs. So um, if you have a dog, give it a hug, keep it in the house, keep it safe, keep it free from whatever this mystery illness is. All right, with the end of our two-hour program, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing the podcast with friends and family. That's the way the podcast grows, and I appreciate it. You try to get in touch with me. My uh, email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want to come into my office for a no-obligation, one-hour consultation on anything in your financial life, give me a call at my office at 732-905-8100, 905-8100. Now, um, I've been getting a lot of emails. People are asking me if I could send them a, a free copy of my book because they want to give it out as a Christmas gift to somebody in their family. More than happy to do that. Uh, just send me an email with your name and address, and I'll be more than happy to send you a signed copy of my book that you can give to uh, a loved one on Christmas. Um, instead of giving them something that won't change their life, why not give them uh, financial education, financial literacy, and that's what the financial position the book will do for them. Again, thanks for joining us. I love each and every one of you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And until next time, never forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.